Right. Welcome to Veritas. Good to see everybody. If you don't know Alex Moore, her birthday's today. Let's give her a round of applause. Alex Moore. If you see her, give her a big hug. She loves hugs. Might be her birthday. No way to confirm or deny. Give her, give her a big hug, though. If you don't know me, my name's Austin. I'm one of the co-directors here at Veritas. Uh, if I haven't met you, come say hey afterwards. If you've been here for the first few weeks, you know we are in a sermon series called A Bigger and Better Story. You know, the story that the Bible tells is, is bigger and better than any other story that our culture is telling. And our culture is telling a lot of stories. Maybe you know, maybe you don't. You know, we've been looking at these first few weeks about different longings, different stories our culture's promising us. Is anybody listening? Maybe not. It's creaky. Yeah, so we've been looking at different stories the culture's promising us, and we've been thinking about what's good about those, but then what's not good, what is not as satisfying. And we're examining how God's story that we find in the Bible, how that true and better story is actually more satisfying than anything else. So tonight, we've arrived at a topic, arrived at a longing, that is relevant to each and every one of us, and that's friendship. Malcolm Gladwell, he wrote a book called Outliers, and in it he tells the story of Christopher Langan. So Christopher Langan's IQ is about 195, which is perhaps the the highest in the world. To give some, some perspective, Einstein's is 150. Okay, so Christopher Langan, 195 IQ. This is the guy you hated in school high school and college, he could literally look at a textbook for two to three minutes and then ace the foreign language test. The guy fell asleep taking his SAT, woke up, finished it, and got a perfect score. No joke. You, 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 you hate this guy. And all of it just came very natural. Just like breathing's natural, this came very natural to him. But what was not natural for him was relationships. He grew up in a very dysfunctional family, very poor family. He was never really able to figure out how to do normal life. Didn't set up good routines. Went in and out of several different colleges. Held lots of different jobs. He was a cowboy. He was a farmhand. He was a bouncer for a while. And currently, he's actually living on a farm in northern Missouri. It's a horse farm. You see, Langan, he had to make his way through life on his own. And nobody, not geniuses, not professional athletes, not software billionaires, Nobody makes it alone. And I'd actually add one more to that. No one, not even professional athletes, not software billionaires, not geniuses, and not Christians ever make it alone. You see, it's the case because God didn't design us to be alone. That's how we were wired. Genesis 2, verse 18, Genesis, first book of the Bible, the creation account. This is what it says. The Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. All throughout Genesis 1 and 2, we see God creates things, and they're good. And there's this pattern as you read it. He made something, it's good, it's good, it's good. So then we get to this, and it's not good. It's like somebody slammed on the emergency brake as you're driving. You go, wait a minute, something's not good? We're in the Garden of Eden. This is paradise, and yet something's not good. You see, we we read this verse and we tend to think about it in the context of marriage, about how Adam needed Eve, and that's true, but God is saying something far more significant. He's saying that we were created not just for romantic relationships, but for friendships. You see, Adam lived in paradise with God, 
But all of that was nothing without a friend. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever gone to your favorite movie, you know, ate at your favorite restaurant, gone to your favorite place by yourself? It's fine. It's okay. But it's just not the same. It's not the same without a friend. You see, the determining factor on whether you and me are going to be happy, it's not where we go. It's not what we do, but it's who we do it with. It's not where we go. It's not what we do, but it's who we do it with. You see, relationships, friendships, they're, they're what m- makes life enjoyable. So we don't need to feel bad. We don't need to feel guilty about, oh, man, I need a friend. That's a little bit weird. No, it's good. That's how we were created. Jesus believed in the power of friendship. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, he says this, The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. You know, think of the ground he could have covered if Jesus would have just sent them individually. He would have doubled the amount of houses visited, doubled the amount of people that heard about Jesus in the gospel, doubled the square miles, but he didn't. What did he do? He sent them in pairs. He sent them with a friend. It's because you and I weren't meant to be alone. We We were made for friendship, and that's a good thing. But there's more. There's more to it. There's a larger purpose for friendship. Do you believe that? If somebody asked you, what's the purpose of your friends? What's the purpose of having friends? What would you say? Is it to have fun together? To have adventures together? Is it to make them, help your friends make you the better you? Or is it just, there's no bigger purpose than friendship itself. That's it. That is the end, just to have friends. Some of you have been to Six Flags in St. Louis. Uh, My favorite ride there is the Batman. Awesome. If you haven't, you should go. Uh, Great thing about the Batman is the actual ride, but what you have to do, obviously, to get in line is is to get in the line of the Batman. Now, you know, sometimes you can just go right through. Sometimes they're stupid packed. There's a picture of it up here. Lines are good, okay? Got to have lines in roller coaster rides. Otherwise, people get hurt. Uh, It's a mob, so they create order. Pro-line. But there's a line. You're not content with the line. You go through the line to get to the ride at the end of it. It wouldn't make sense for you to halfway through, you know, you you stop and go, you know, I'm good. You guys go ahead. I got the trash can. We'll just be fine. I got my trash can. That doesn't make sense. That'd be weird. You know, it's the same way with friendship. It's the same way with friendship. There's a bigger purpose for it. You know, believing that friendship is the end in and of itself is like staying in the line. If all we do is talk about our friendship and evaluate how our friendship's doing. How are you doing? How am I doing? How are we doing? What are they doing with us? Are we okay? That's exhausting. At best, it's weird. And at worst, it's, it's devastating. And it's exhausting. And it's destructive. And it's that way because friendships were never meant to bear the weight that we sometimes put on them. If we do that, we're going we're gonna to break it. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but eventually... We're going to break it. When Jesus sent those friends out in Luke 10, do you know what they were doing? They were doing something together for God. Let's read the verse again. Skip down to verse 2 here. Jesus said to these friends, these disciples who wound, he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, there's lots in that verse, but here's what I want us to pay attention to. Jesus gave them a mission, a 
purpose to accomplish together. You know, he didn't pair him up and say, go have fun on a road trip. He didn't say, go travel Europe. You know, he didn't say all of that. What he said was, you are to go out into the harvest. He paired them up so they would participate in the most difficult, the hardest, and yet the most rewarding mission possible. And that's to accomplish God's will. To further God's purposes in the world. To live out the way God intended life to be. Not the way that we often think it was made to be. That's what Jesus wanted most. That was his purpose here on earth. In John chapter 4, it's the fourth gospel. He's talking to his disciples. He says this. He says, my food, just another way of saying the most important goal, the biggest purpose in life. My food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. See, Jesus understood something so important. He understood that something was and is wrong with the world. The world's broken. The world is not the way that it should be. Nobody disagrees with that. We all feel that. We all sense that. See, sin has affected our world. That's the biggest problem. Not cancer, not lack of education, not hurricanes, though those are problems. But the biggest problem is sin. And it's infected the world, and it's infected our hearts, and it's devastating. And what Jesus did is he came to reverse that curse in our hearts and in the world. And he came to spread a kingdom of love, justice, and mercy that would infect, in a good way, the entire world. And the incredible thing about all that is that he's not doing it alone. Is He wants people, he wants you, and he wants me to do that with him. In Ephesians Two, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, for we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, these good works are the things that we do together as God's people, together as friends to further God's purpose in this world. They're the means by which God is using to reverse the curse of sin and to spread that kingdom of love, justice, and mercy. Not the only means, doesn't need them, but he wants to do that. So, a lot of you might be asking at this point, what the heck does any of this have to do with friendship? Well, it has everything to do with friendship. You see, if this is the story we're in, if this is a story that we are created for, bigger and better and more satisfying than anything else out there, then we need to surround ourselves with the right kind of people, the right kind of friends to help us accomplish this. Maybe you recognize the guy behind me. This is Joey Chestnut. He has won the American Hot Dog Eating Contest 10 years in a row, set a new world record, get this, 72 hot dogs in 10 minutes. Yes, I know, I see the the faces. That's That's my reaction too. You hire this man, you hire this man to help you eat hot dogs faster. You do not hire Joey Chestnut to help you eat right and get in shape. If you hire that guy to help you eat right and get in shape, do not be surprised if you don't do it. If you don't meet your own goal, it's your own fault. You hire Joey Chestnut. He helps you eat hot dogs faster, not eat healthier and get in shape. The reality is that people impact purpose. People impact our purpose. The people we surround ourselves with for good or for bad, no neutral, for good or for bad, they impact our purpose, our goals, what we want to do. So 
So let's just pretend, just for a second. Let's assume that everybody in here is on board and they believe that the biggest and best purpose for your life and for my life is to live for God, to be faithful to him. Let's just pretend that that's true. If so, then isn't it worth asking ourselves what kind of people do we need to surround ourselves with so that we can have the greatest impact, so that we accomplish that purpose? What kind of friends do we need to have? For the rest of the time, we're going to ask two questions, pretty simple. What kind of friend should I look for? And what kind of friend should I be? And here's how we can sum it up. We need to be the friend that we want. Easier said than done, but we need to be the friend that we want. So for the rest of the time, we're going to talk about four qualities that we need to be as a friend, that we should want as a friend. These aren't the only things that we have to do, but I think they they really capture the heart of it. So four qualities that we need to be as a friend and that we should look for as a friend. Here's the first. We need to be and want a friend who listens. Be and want a friend who listens. So James 1.19 says, Let everyone be quick to hear and slow to speak. Easier said than done, right? You know, listening in, involves putting our own agendas, our own thoughts aside for a second. It means not when someone's talking to you, you go, uh-huh, yeah, smiling in, the, in your mind. You're going, well, I don't agree with that. That's kind of dumb. Oh, here's what I'm going to say to that. Yeah, oh, this is going to be really good. Uh-huh, yeah, I heard you. Oh, no, it's hard. My wife loves it when I do this. It goes really well for me. No, it doesn't. No, of course. This is natural, but it's not right. Instead, listening means that we stop the conversation in our own head, and we actually listen. We try to make eye contact. We try to put words uh, to what they said so that they say, yeah, that makes sense. We need to listen. So ask your friend what's been going on with them first instead of telling them what's been happening to you. Look for a friend that listens to you. If your friends just talk and talk and talk and talk and don't stop to ask questions, well, you know. One of my really good friends, he's, uh, he's been living in England for the last three or four years. A couple of years ago, I'm sitting at Addison's getting ready to enjoy the late night nachos, and I look over, and he's literally standing right there. It's just like him to appear out of nowhere. It turns out he was in town for a friend's wedding, and I had about an hour to kill, uh, or we ended up talking for about an hour at the bar, and in that time, he asked me questions for 45 minutes. I just talked and talked and talked and talked and talked, and I couldn't believe it. I looked down, and it's almost time for him to go. I'm like, holy cow, I've been talking a long time. Sorry, because he had a lot going on, and I wanted to hear, but that was just his, that was his default. It's just what he wanted to do. It was so natural for him. You see, that's the type of listening that we're getting at. That's the type of listening that will deepen and that will build friendships. You know, do, you, do you listen like this? Who do you need to listen to? Second quality. We need to be and want a friend who encourages. Be and want a friend who encourages. Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Again, just like listening, this doesn't come naturally to me, and I don't think it comes naturally to us. To encourage somebody means that we have to stop thinking about our own plans, our own purposes, our own schedules, our own jobs, our own lives, and we have to put ourselves in their shoes. We have to think about what's going on with them. How did that make them feel? What do they need to hear? It's not easy, but it's definitely worth it. One of the first years that I was on staff had this small group of guys. There was a guy, we'll call him Josh, who's in the army. And after about a year, he, uh, 
in this small group, he got called to the Middle East. And it was, it was pretty, you know, he was excited, but he was also really nervous because he was the only Christian in his unit, and he was going to be there for a year, away from friends, away from family. And so a couple of the guys in the small group, I didn't ask them to do this. They came to me and they said, you know what we're going to do? We want to write Josh some notes. So can you write six notes for Josh? Everybody in the small group, about ten guys, they wrote six notes. And they gave him, they sent one every couple, every couple weeks so that he, he would have a steady diet of encouragement while he was over there. Now these guys, they're still friends to this day. They live in all different parts of the United States, but they're still friends to this day. And I think part of it is because they encourage each other really well. And what about you? Do you have friends that you can encourage? Is there someone you need to encourage? Have you been encouraged like this? And it's not going to be easy, but, but I promise you it'll be worth it. So be someone, I want a friend who encourages. Third one, be and want a friend who's honest. Be and want a friend who is honest. Proverbs 27, 6, <clears throat> wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. We think of this exactly the opposite, right? We assume that an enemy will wound you and a friend will kiss you. A friend will tell you something nice about you. A friend will make you feel good. Imagine if you went to a car mechanic and you got your your state inspection and they, they tell you, wow, thank you so much for bringing your car in. I don't often see cars like this. Your car is in top notch shape. If only everybody else would have a car like you. Okay, thanks. Great. Awesome. All right. So you leave. Next day, you try to put the brakes on as you're going down Rock Quarry and you swerve into the trees. You check the brake fluid and it's gone. No brake fluid. So you go back to the mechanic and you go, wait a minute. You told me my car was in top-notch shape. What, what, what's going on? And he goes, well, of course you didn't have any brake fluid. It was obvious to me. It was obvious to everybody else. But you know what? I didn't want to hurt your feelings. I kind of thought we had a good thing going here. I wanted this to be a safe place to talk. Of course You'd be furious. Imagine the same thing, you go to the doctor. You go in for your physical, the doctor goes, wow, thank you for coming in. You are a physical specimen. Not too many people like you out there. Don't know what you're doing, but keep up the good job. And then the next day, you're on campus, and your, your heart kind of starts to, to flutter. You pass out. You realize, wow, you, I mean, you had a heart attack. You go back to the doctor, yeah, pretty crazy, right? <laughs> on campus, heart attack. Sorry. You go back to the doctor, right? You say, what gives? Well, you know, I, we all knew you weren't in good shape. But nobody wanted to tell you that. Nobody wanted to tell you that. We had a good thing going. This one would be supposed to be a safe place. No. You'd be furious, and rightfully so. So when it comes to our cars, we want the truth. When it comes to our health, we want the truth. But for some reason, when it comes to our character, we don't want the truth. When it comes to our relationships, friendships or dating relationships, when it comes to our spiritual growth, how we're really doing spiritually, we don't want the truth. If you're like me, my initial instinct is to kind of deny it, defend it, get defensive, try to come up with an excuse of why they're wrong. But I think we've got it backward. I think we need friends who are honest with us, and we need to be honest with our friends. So who have you given permission to be honest with you? Who have you told, okay, you know what? I know I probably won't have the best first response, but be patient with me. Tell me like it is. What do you really think of my class schedule? 
What do you really think of my class schedule? What do you really think of the person I'm dating? What do you really think about where I'm at spiritually? You know, who do you need to be honest with? Now, don't go in swinging, right? Don't go in, don't go in with the intention of harming them like a soldier. But you want to wound, you know, a soldier, they, they go in to harm somebody, to kill them. Go in like a surgeon. You know, a surgeon cuts people, but they do it with the intention to heal someone. So who do you need to be honest with? Who do you need maybe to say hard things, but do it in a way that, you know what, you're ready for a, maybe a not a best first response. You give them maybe some time to think about what you have to say, and you have a follow-up conversation. Who do you need to do that to? Who do you need to do that with? It's not easy, but it's worth it. So be in one a friend who's honest. Last one. It's be in one a friend who serves. A couple verses here. Galatians chapter 6. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Mark 9 verse 35. This is Jesus speaking here. If anyone would be first, they must be last of all and servant of all. In our world, we think just the opposite. We think We've got to be first. We've got to look out for ourselves. Nobody else is going to. I can't serve somebody else because that means I'm going to take a hit. And I've got to look out for me because I'm a big deal. Don't you know that? But it's just the opposite. Last semester, uh, Maria Chisholm, she gave me uh, permission to say her name. Nobody freak out. Maria, you know, she had to have her seventh knee surgery. I've had one, and it was terrible. I can't imagine having seven. And understandably, it caused her to go into kind of a funk, physically, emotionally. She couldn't walk to any of her classes. She had to go to the doctor twice a week. She's super stressed, understandably, trying to balance all the health concerns and school and job, all that. But enter her small group. Enter her small group. Some of those girls stepped up to the plate, and they offered to give her rides to and from those doctor's appointments twice a week. They offered to take her to church. They were meeting with her regularly, her small group leader. Met with her regularly just to talk, see how things are going, grab some food, give her some words of encouragement. She summed it up this way. She said, I felt love through words and through something as simple as sharing food. I had people to talk to and to reassure me I wasn't alone. You know, I've heard it said that true joy is found on the other side of self-sacrifice. True joy is found on the other side of self-sacrifice. And I bet those small group girls would agree. How can you be a friend who serves? What can you do for someone to start serving them, big or small? It doesn't matter. But if and when you do that, we're going to start experiencing that reality. True joy is found on the other side of self-sacrifice. Now, I know there's some people in here uh, who say, you know what, I would love to do all four of those things. I would love to be someone who listens and to be someone who encourages and to be someone who is honest and who serves. But you can't. You can't because maybe you have one friend. Maybe you have no friends. If that's you, hear me say, I'm sorry. That is a really, really hard place to be. I've been there. I've walked with students over the years in Veritas who have been there. You're not alone. This made me think of one student a few years ago. He came to Veritas. He somehow heard about our ministry. He came to a meeting a little bit early, uh, way too early, in fact. Uh, but I went over and I talked with him. And I found out that he knew no people at Mizzou. He knew no people in Veritas. He had never had a real close friend in his small hometown. But here's what this guy did. 
in an act of courage, that night we just happened to be signing up for the fall retreat. In an act of courage, he signed up for the fall retreat. And he went. He didn't know anybody. And he met a couple guys down there because we had small groups down there. And he got to talking with them. And when we came back, he actually went to that small group. And you know what happened? He found friends. It wasn't easy. It didn't happen right away. It took time. It was a little bit awkward at times. But eventually, over time, slowly but surely, he got to know those guys. And those guys in the small group, they got to know him. And they rallied around him. And they wanted him. There was even a guy who committed to meeting with this guy every week for an entire semester. Just for grab coffee, same time, same place. Just catch up. This student would not have found friends if they didn't go on that far retreat. And if he didn't go to that small group. This is why I will never get sick and we will never get sick of promoting fall retreat, of promoting small groups. You guys might get sick of it. That's great. That's fine. Tell us all about it. We won't listen. We will never get sick of it because of stuff like this, because we really believe that this is a great way and a huge important means Jesus has given us to connect with one another, to start building friendships, going on the fall retreat, joining a small group. This is the place. This is the space where we can put these qualities to work. We can practice living out a friendship with a bigger purpose. Where else are we going to do this? So a friend who listens, encourages, serves, and is honest with us is a friend that we want and is a friend that we need to be. But we need to be these friends, not just to get friends, but more importantly because this is the type of friend that pleases God. The person we need to be most concerned about is pleasing God himself. God wants us to be all of these things. This is my brother-in-law. He was a pole vaulter back in the day here in Mizzou. His personal record, 16 feet. It's pretty good. Your second picture should be him pole vaulting, I think. Yep, that might have been it. Yeah, 16 feet. You know what my personal record is? Zero. <laughs> I cannot, nor do I want to. Happy if you want to. Anyway, that's beside the point. Can't pole vault. You know what Will cannot do? Will cannot pole vault 20 feet and two and a half inches because that's the world record. Four feet taller than Will. You know what that world record holder can't do? He can't pole vault to the moon. The moon is 1.26 billion feet. It's impossible. <laughs> I feel like it should be Captain Obvious up here. Hotels.com. We'll just let that sit for a second. In the same way, I'll just keep going. In the same way that nobody can pole vault to the moon, Captain Obvious, thank you, you and I, we cannot be the friends that please God. We can't be the friends God calls us to be. Now, some of us, maybe we're more natural at building and developing friendships. Maybe some of us are like that world record holder. Maybe some of us are like my brother-in-law, Will, who we're okay at it. We're not terrible, but we're not, you know, we're not, we're not the best. Some of you, maybe you're like me. It's near impossible. But none of us can be the friend that God calls us to be. We're too imperfect. I'm too selfish. I'm too lazy. I'm too caught up in my own world. That's all of us. We can't do it. And so what we need to do is we need to look outside ourselves. We need to ask God for help. I don't know if you've realized that. I don't know if you've seen that. I don't know if you've felt that. But eventually, and I pray that we all, that you all get to that point where you realize you can't do it on your own. And when you get there, what you realize is God's ready to help. God's ready to help. We can listen to others because God listens to us. Psalm 91, 15. 
That's what it says. When he calls to me, when she calls to me, I will answer them. We can encourage others because Jesus, every single day of our lives, is encouraging us. Luke 22, he's speaking to the Apostle Peter, and this verse is called Simon. It says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Jesus prayed, he encouraged Peter, and he does that for us. We can be honest with our friends, even if it means risking the friendship, because Jesus is honest with us. John 18, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Last one, we can serve others because Jesus serves us. We've got the resources to do it because someone else is serving us. Mark 10 doesn't get any clearer than this. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the power to be the friend that we want and the friend that we need is not found in ourselves, it's found in Jesus. As the music team comes back up, I just want to ask one, one more question. What do you think could happen? I mean, really, what could happen on Mizzou's campus, on other colleges' campuses here in town, if we actually live this out? I mean, are we just doing this just to do it, just to check off the box, and that's it? Do we really believe? Or if we actually did this, what do you think could happen? What if for the next month, for the month of September, we picked one or two or maybe all of them, but maybe just one. We tried to do one of these consistently over time. How would that impact the small group that you join? How would that change someone's fall retreat experience, your fall retreat experience? How would friends in your dorms, people that you don't really like, in your fraternities or sororities, people in classes, how would they take notice if you and I actually put this to work? You know, at the beginning of the year, Veritas prayed a, a pretty big prayer. Kind of on our staff team, we, we asked the question, look, let's say Mizzou left tomorrow. If Mizzou didn't exist and we weren't here, would Mizzou even notice? We're praying that they would. We're praying that we would be the kind of ministry that would be missed because of the way, not the just things that we said, but the way that we lived our lives, the way that we carried out our friendships. We hope and pray that people around would notice that we're living for something bigger than just friendship itself. I don't know what could happen, but all I know is we've got to start somewhere. And so will you do this? Look to Jesus to be the friend that we want and the friend that we need. Let me pray. Jesus, we admit that sometimes we have good intentions to try to be a good friend, but a lot of times we don't. Most times, eventually we fail. We're so caught up in our own stories. We try to do it on our own. Maybe we try to tell ourselves, no, we're good, we're fine, we don't need friends, but that's, that's not true. We're not kidding anybody. But would you open our eyes to see the story that we are in, to see that you have created us to be need friends. We thank you that you have given us Jesus who is the way that we can be that friend to others. Would you help us in the days to come as we try to live this out faithfully. All for you and all for your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. I love